0: you're listening to faith community church's weekly podcast we hope this week's message from god is insightful and an inspiration to you all right with that i know i need to pray so would you pray with me this morning father god we are so thankful that we are people of hope I know I'm one of them and I know there are people here in this room who might feel a little bit like people, come on man I, just life has hit me so da- down and so hard, stop being so geeked up around me and I know there's people out here who have felt that and and, and really in, in point of fact the, the Easter story the resurrection story, it's for all of us all of us who are really geeked up and we love Easter and it's really exciting and it's really happy and we love the party but it's also for those of us who've been grieving and we're mourning and it feels like hope is is like at arm's length and so god this morning i pray that you would use me to be able to convey something that your holy spirit wants to convey to each and every one person who comes in here this morning and we give this time to you in jesus name amen i'm just going to start off just going right straight to it the apostle paul He's one of the main writers of the New Testament, missionary to the Gentile world. He admitted something that he actually recorded in the Bible, and you'd be surprised that he actually admitted it. But here's what he admitted, and we'll put it up on the screen. He said, if Christ has not been raised, (laughs) our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. That's in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14. In other words, all that we're saying and all that we're doing, everything that we're celebrating here today, it honestly is totally empty if Jesus didn't actually rise from the grave. And the faith that some of us have uh, in this room have committed ourselves to, to Jesus, the faith that we've committed to over the years is, in fact, totally empty of reality behind it if Jesus didn't beat death. Now, if you will allow me this admission... I'm going to admit something. Allow me to admit one of the main reasons that for me it can feel like, feel like, maybe Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead. This is my own personal confession. The reason it can feel this way, it's not for any of the like the scientific reasons that people often do have, and some of you here in this room and maybe listening online, that may be you, and that's, that's great. You need to have your healthy, constructive doubts. But for me, it's not those scientific reasons that have room for doubts and doubts that can be fairly examined and discussed. For me, it is the reality that Jesus' people, his followers, his leaders, even his priests and preachers they don't always look like people who love and follow a Savior and Lord who defeated sin and death. They don't always look like that kind of person. I mean, if Jesus defeated sin and death, it seems like we could expect that regular everyday Christians wouldn't be so easily, and boy, in recent years, easily hijacked by the isms of the age. And by that, I mean hijacked by racism, hijacked by sexism, classism, consumerism, and nationalism. It would seem like it wouldn't be as easily hijacked by that and end up making them look worse and less loving than people who don't believe in Jesus and don't believe in anything of the resurrection. They look worse than those people. It also seems like I could expect the faith leaders of all the people, the faith leaders, to not be power-hungry, narcissistic, predatory, and abusive in ways that are harmful, and let's just be honest, in ways that have even been evil. I'm talking about the Catholic Church cover-ups and scandals as well as the Southern Baptist Church's scandals and cover-ups. And sadly, I'm just being honest here, I could spend the next 10 minutes or more listing Leaders and churches and organizations and camps, and we would be here, and you'd be very depressed. I'm just be honest. I fully admit that for me, when I look at the things that I have just described, it can feel like Jesus actually hasn't been raised, and the preaching I'm about to enter into, it's going to be completely empty. And I'm being brutally honest because it's my hope that maybe it stirs some deeper honesty and maybe some deeper thinking in you on this Easter morning, 2023. Do you wonder at least a little, do you wonder, did Jesus really, and I mean, did he really bodily rise from the dead? And if he really did, can we expect Jesus's resurrection to make a dent in the character and the loveliness of people who believe in his resurrection and they're claiming they're following this guy who beat death and sin. If Jesus did in fact bodily rise from the dead, it would be appropriate, I think, for us to hope. And dare I say, it would be appropriate for us to expect that his people who believe in him would have lives just loaded with so much overflowing grace that look as if Jesus is the victor over sin and death. People whose lives look like Jesus is alive enough that he can actually dismantle sin. And what I mean by that is that he is alive enough, alive and well right now in 2023, that he can destroy that selfish, raw animal that's inside of every one of us. And come on, let's be honest with ourselves, it's in there. That raw animal inside of us that worships our moods as the most significant thing in our lives. And as much as we put like a nice whitewash on ourselves and we're like, I'm okay, I'm doing pretty good. I'm a pretty good person. We all know in our raw moments, we are selfish. We have these moods. They're the most significant things in our life and we will sacrifice whatever we got to sacrifice. Even our most important significant others and our ideals, and our ethics, we will sacrifice them in order to get those moods and those desires satisfied. We all have to admit that that is true about us, and if Jesus rose from the dead, he should, if he's alive enough to be able to dismantle that, and as well as dismantle death, and by that I mean he, we would think he's alive enough to not just give people laminated passes or QR codes to get into heaven, but also give them so much now in this life, abundant, beautiful life that can stand up to anything that it dismantles all the forms of decay in human life, beginning the moment that they could run headlong into the risen Jesus Christ. And so today at Faith Community Church, this Easter Sunday, we're beginning a new study to starting today, and we're calling it As I Follow Christ. What we're going to do in the coming weeks is we're going to study the life of this guy. We're going to, when we first meet him this morning, his name is Saul. He's later renamed the Apostle Paul. We're going to study his life as it's described in the book of Acts. And what we want to see is how Jesus' resurrection, and if he's alive, his living relationship with very broken people, of which, by the way, every human being is, But very broken people, like Paul, can actually transform them and change the whole trajectory of their lives. So with that in mind, if you have your Bible, let's read from the Bible. Acts chapter 9, and starting in verse 1. And I want us to watch this guy, Saul, who later becomes Paul, his encounter with Jesus. In Acts chapter 9, verse 1, we read. Meanwhile, Saul... And heard a voice say to him Saul Saul why do you persecute me Who are you Lord Saul asked I am Jesus whom you are persecuting he replied Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do The men traveling with Saul they stood there speechless they heard the sound but they didn't see anyone Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. And for three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord called to him, excuse me, in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. (laughs) Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. So that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. This is God's holy, precious word. Now this account tells us that this guy Saul, who later became Paul, the guy who wrote that verse that I popped up at the beginning, the guy who says, If Christ has not been risen, our preaching is empty and so is your faith. Well, that guy runs straight headlong into the risen Jesus. Now, what we have to know about this guy to understand where we're trying to go with, the, with understanding what the scripture is telling us is we have to understand that up to this moment in his life, Saul, he had no need. He was a man who tell you, I don't have any need or interest in anything to do with Jesus of Nazareth. He had no interest whatsoever because Paul this is not too strong a word, fanatically believed. He knew all that he needed to know that that was known about God. He knew everything that was to be known about God. He knew it. He had it all dialed in. He believed that fanatically. He knew, and I would say he knew that he knew, that God was going to rescue the world. God was going to make human beings right again and God was going to make the whole world right again. God was going to renew the shalom, the peace that was once in the Garden of Eden because God had promised that he was going to do that and he knew that. And he knew that God, and he knew that he knew that God had planned to accomplish this rescue of the whole world by blessing one family that God happened to graciously just pick out of a crowd. That's the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Jews, the family of of God, and that he was going to renew them by so blessing them that they would then overflow with blessing and they would bless the whole world and have the world point their eyes and their hearts toward the God of the rescue. He knew that. But he also knew that God's great rescue plan now needed a rescue itself. This is where it gets interesting with his belief system. That God had a rescue plan and that God needed help in achieving God's rescue plan. And so he... The only way that he and other devout Jews believes that they could put God's rescue plan for the whole world back on track was to get the Jewish people back on track. we got to get serious people. Come on. That's what he's thinking. we got to get diligent with our spiritual practices. We've got to be almost perfect in our fasting and almost perfect in our prayers and almost perfect in our keeping of the Torah, which is the law, that by creating through their own best efforts, they would create conditions on the planet that would purge the Jews of their sin and then get them back on track with God. And then God in heaven would take a look and go, oh, they're back on track. And then hurry up the time when God would put the world back under his rule and everything back into the shalom like it was in the Garden of Eden. He fanatically believed this. And he believed to the core that he was fighting for God and God's rescue plan. He was convinced he was on God's side. He was the best of the best in keeping the Torah and knowing the Torah. And sure, he was helping God out. And not only did he believe that he was on God's side, he believed God was on his side. I mean, the, and how would he not think that? We just read in the text, the greatest, godliest, most respected leaders in Jerusalem, the religious leaders, they eagerly approved. They signed off on everything he was going to do to snuff out this, as they saw it, this dangerous, schismatic, wacky cult. These people who are followers of the way, this this one that they said had risen from the dead. And if they had any sway, this schism, this cult, they were going to ruin everything. And all of this, at the moment we start reading about Saul, this made him, in this moment, a very dangerous man. Because you know who are really dangerous people? Dangerous people who are totally at peace within themselves while enacting terror and violence and murder against other human beings for the sake of a mission from God. So he's riding down on the road to Damascus at peace with himself and he's a very dangerous human being. And suddenly all of Paul's assured conclusions, they implode. And here's what we read in verse three and four. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? A light from heaven flashes. In fact, Paul, later on in the book of Acts, if you want to flip over to it, in Acts 26, verse 13, as he goes back and describes this, he says, the light was brighter than the sun blazing around me, unquote. It flashes. He falls to the ground. He hears a a voice inside of the light, and he asks for a name. And he's shocked to hear, it's Jesus. Jesus. Jesus? Now, we have to know, thinking about what was going on inside of Paul's head, Paul had to be thinking something along the line wait, Jesus, you mean the liar? The, the lying, blaspheming, backwards carpenter from Nazareth who is claiming to be God? The lying cult leader? That all of these goofballs that I'm trying to round up, who are gonna ruin everything for God if I don't round them up, that guy, that, that Jesus, the risen Jesus was a total shock to Paul. Which, by the way, a little sidelight. Has the risen Jesus ever been a total shock to you? He was a total shock to Paul, who was Saul in that moment. And it immediately turned his life inside out and upside down. He was left blind, stupefied, unable to eat or drink for three days. And as Paul sat in his stupor, God spoke in a vision to another follower of the way, a guy who appears and then disappears from Scripture in just this one scene a follower of the way, a follower of the risen Jesus, a guy named Ananias, and God told Ananias, go look up Paul. And Ananias is like, can I have a little conversation with you about this, God? (laughs) Uh, I don't think that's a great idea. And God says this to him in verses 15 and 16. God says, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And in those verses, we get to see this is exactly what the risen Jesus does in human lives. The risen Jesus intended, first of all, to remake Saul into Paul. To remake Paul's whole life as Jesus started to make this former violent, and truly, it's not not a stretch, he was murderous, murderous persecutor of Jesus' people and to remake him into a loving, passionate announcer of the love and the grace and the peace of the risen Jesus. And he was going to do it to the whole world. So Jesus was going to remake his life and, did you read it in the verses? Risen Jesus intended to ruin Paul's previous life. Kind of what happens when resurrections happen in graveyards. It ruins everything that's happening in the graveyard. The risen Jesus intended to ruin Paul's previous life with all of its beliefs and all of its practices. His belief that he worked for God was ruined by the realization, What? I'm working against God? His belief that Jesus was a lying lunatic was ruined in the face of the risen Lord of life, Jesus. His practice of rage and violence was ruined by the love and the grace of the risen Jesus in his own life. And by the way, the reason that we here today in 2023 have heard about Jesus, the risen one, and have an opportunity to believe and love and follow him today is because the risen Jesus radically met and transformed a dude named Saul who became Paul. That became a pivotal moment in our life. Yes, I will admit to you, like I said at the very beginning, there are followers of Jesus' hey, They don't look like they follow someone who beat death. They don't, and I apologize for that. It grieves me deeply. But since the first resurrection day, there have also been people like Paul And like people maybe sitting around you or people who invited you to come to this Easter service who when you look at their life, you're like, no, they kind of, I think, prove that Jesus actually might be alive by the ways that Jesus has ruined and remade their lives. And that's the thing that I want you to hear from this text this morning is that Jesus is so alive that he dynamically ruins and remakes lives. That's what he does. And he's allowed to do it more than arriving at this conclusion by you know, trying to sort through all the historical evidence of Jesus' bodily resurrection, and you can do that, and despite the way too many followers of Jesus who don't look like they know and follow a risen Savior, the reason I know Jesus is actually alive today, in spite of all the things I admitted at the beginning, the reason I know he's alive is the dynamic <laughs> ruining and remaking of lives that he has been rendering throughout history right up to this moment. And by ruining lives, what I mean is Jesus is so alive, he does get involved and dismantles the power of sin and death in people's lives. He dismantles this life project that we're all so good at which is, I'm going to grab life on my terms, thank you very much, and I'm going to satisfy my moods and passions, no matter who I harm or who I ruin, including myself. He dismantles that whole project. He's so alive, he does that. He's so alive that he remakes lives. And by that I mean Jesus is so alive that in the former places of where he dismantled sin, he replaces it with character. And where he dismantled death, he replaces it with life. That's what Jesus does. Someone once said... And believe me, I checked Google. I was like, well, who said this? I don't know. Google tells me it can't tell me. (laughs) But somewhere along the line, I picked this up. Maybe I'll claim credit. Maybe I thought of it. I don't know. But here's what it is. I know I didn't think of it. The worst case for Christ is a Christian. And the best case for Christ is a Christian. Both things are true at the same time. The worst case for Christ is a Christian. The best case for Christ is a Christian. And by that, what we're meaning is there are people claiming Christianity who make the worst case for the risen Jesus. They're walking around us right now. Maybe not in here. Not saying that. But somewhere out there. They, they A, they haven't ever actually really met the risen Jesus who spun their life around, even though they claim it. Or B, they just have a sort of a salvation path for eternity relationship with Jesus. And I'm not going to play God and say you're not saved and you won't get to heaven. I'm not saying that, but it's just more of a kind of a salvation pass where it's you say to Jesus, I'll deal with you when I get to heaven, kind of relationship with Jesus, kind of Christianity. Or C, you only let Jesus into the front room of your, of your living room of your life to go, okay, you can restage the couch and the chairs But you never let him touch the back room. You never let him into the attic. You never let him into the basement. You never let him see the dust bunnies under the bed of your life. He just gets to restage the front room. And end up kind of making the worst case for Christ. And at the same time, there are those people who make the best case for Jesus. Just like Saul, who became Paul. Who allowed Jesus, who is the victor over sin and death. That's why we're singing these songs to allow him to actually be the victor in their lives by letting Jesus turn everything about them and their life and their attitudes and their emotions and their pains and their losses and their griefs and their victimizations and their relationships where Jesus comes in and they allow him to turn everything inside out and upside down so that he transforms their whole life into a resurrection reality-looking kind of life. See, here's the appeal for our lives. After Saul encountered the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus, interrupting the whole trajectory of his former life, as we've been saying, he was renamed Saul. About 30 years later, for following Jesus, guess where he ended up? Not in a palace. (laughs) He ended up in a prison. 30 years later, he ended up in a Roman prison, in prison for his faith in Jesus and in prison for teaching in the Roman Empire, which believed, no, Caesar is our God and Caesar is our king. No, Paul was preaching, no, Jesus is our king. He was in prison. And while he was in prison, he wrote a heartfelt letter to one of his closest co-laborers, a young man named Timothy, where he described what the risen Jesus had done in his life over those 30 years. And this comes from the, the book of the letter to First Tim, in First Timothy. It comes from the message translation. And I'll put it up on the screen. Here's what he wrote. The only credentials I brought, and by brought he means into his relationship with Jesus, I brought violence and witch hunts and arrogance. But I was treated mercifully because I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know who I was doing it against grace mixed with faith and love poured over me and into me and all because of jesus here's a word you can take to heart and depend on jesus christ came into the world to save sinners i'm proof public sinner number one of someone who could never have made it apart from sheer mercy and now he shows me off evidence of his endless patience to those who are right on the edge of trusting him forever. How did Saul become Paul, this person who was public center number one in his own mind, clearly, into someone who could see in his own life that God had transformed him into this person 30 years later in his life, suffering in a prison, who was someone who God was using to show him off as, in his own words, evidence of God's endless patience? How did that happen? Well, two observations I have. One is, first, the availability of a powerful and risen Savior, Jesus. Who, by the way, is available to all of us 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and even in our deepest, darkest hours. He was available to Saul. He's available to you and me. And the second part of how did he get there? How did Paul change like that? It's also the availability of the man himself, Paul, Saul. Who allowed the living Jesus into every corner of his heart. Every corner of his heart, his soul, and his mind. So that he became this walking, talking, living evidence of God's endless patience. Which is talking about God's grace. Jesus is so alive He is dynamically ruining and remaking lives. And the appeal for all of us, and it's for me too, is to allow Jesus to turn you into evidence of his endless patience. I pray that's what your heart is today on this Easter. Now first, in saying that, I want to say something to you today, who are, as Paul described in this passage, you're on the edge right now of trusting Jesus forever. I specifically want to say something to those of you who are that. You're right on the edge. Like, you know, you, you, somebody invited you to come. You're like, okay. <laughs> and you came. What I want to say to you is this First, I want to say I am truly, truly, grievously sorry for the Christians in your life who've made the worst case for Jesus. I'm sorry. You have no idea how many times I have a cup of coffee, I apologize as a pastor for the people in others' lives who've made the worst case for Christ. I'm sorry. But please, at the same time, would you please look around you to see if you can see anyone in your life, anyone even in history, like a guy like Saul who becomes Paul, who does actually provide evidence that Jesus might have actually beaten death because you can see it in their lives. You can see it in the grace and the beauty of their lives. And what I want to say to you is today, this is an opportunity. You're right on the edge of eternity. To admit to Jesus, Jesus, I am that thing called a sinner. I am that. Because, by the way, welcome to the human race. We're all that. To admit I'm a sinner. To believe that there is enough evidence that Jesus went to a cross and he beat death. He killed off death. Death on the resurrection morning and to finally just commit your life to begin allowing him to turn you into evidence of his endless patience. I'm just going to take a moment just to hold quiet where if that's you and you're ready, you can just pray a prayer. God, I admit I'm a sinner. I believe what I understand about who Jesus is and that he rose again. And I'm committing right here and now, I'm going to start following you. I want the life you offer. I just want to hold silence for a moment for anyone who needs to pray that prayer. but I also need to say something else to all of us who've already chosen to follow Jesus and particularly those of you who are members at faith community Church. you're going to be here in the subsequent weeks and maybe some of others of you will as well. And we invite you to for sure. But I want to say something to all of us who have chosen to follow Jesus to please allow that much more of the availability of yourself to the risen Jesus. Don't settle for a life with the risen Jesus that's just like, I shut up on Easter. Don't settle for that. That just gives you like the passcode to the pearly gates. It doesn't make any dent in your character or your life. Don't settle for that. Don't settle for a life with the risen Jesus that just, you know, you can, come, you can restage my front yard and we'll just make it drought tolerant, Jesus. And you can restage my entryway. And that's, that's about it. That's about all I can handle. Don't, don't do anymore. Don't touch anymore. Don't settle for that. You're not, and not allow him into the rest of your life. And by the way, let me just be honest about this. When that becomes a, the, the shape of our life, we're sliding down that spectrum toward being the worst case for Christ. Pursue Jesus by allowing the living Jesus into the center of your soul and your mind and your heart so that you are giving him availability. He can touch and influence everything about you. Everything. And you become increasingly, day after day after day after day, evidence of God's endless patience, of His grace, which, by the way, slides the other way. A a Christian who makes a good case for Jesus. Now, I was tempted Thursday when I wrote this little section here, Thursday morning. I was tempted, I was like, okay. Jesus, I'm going to put up a bullet list here of all the ways that as a pastor I can pinpoint all the things that they should be doing with themselves based on this point. How you can do this in your marriage, how you can do this in your home, how you can do this, blah, blah, blah. And the Holy Spirit said, Andy, shut up. Amen. amen. <laughs> so I paused and I heard Adam say, Amen. And instead, the Holy Spirit had me write this sentence. And here's the sentence to us who believe. How is the Spirit telling you I'm talking to you? And how is the Spirit leading you to allow Jesus' resurrection and reality into that part of your life where he's convicting you? How is the spirit telling you I'm talking to you and how is the spirit telling, allowing to to say, I got to allow Jesus resurrection reality into that part of my life. And with that, I just want to hold a moment of just quiet. Paul became the most unexpected missionary living a resurrection reality life of profound love and grace because he allowed the grace of the risen Jesus over time, takes time, to turn him inside out, right side up, and remade whole. That's what he's been doing in my life. Just ask my wife, Alita. That's what he wants to do in all of our lives. So with that, I want to invite the band up. Today, we're not going to take communion like we normally do because this church took communion on Good Friday. What we want to do is sing and songs of celebration. But as they get set to lead us in the celebration, what I want to say this is, and you know this, the world at this time needs Jesus. You know that. I know that. And, and the world needs followers of Jesus who aren't the worst case for Jesus. They really do. They need it. They need to see that. I'm telling you that if you commit yourself for the first time, if you've committed that this morning, and I'd love for you to tell me or tell the the person who brought you, I, I said I'm following Jesus today. I'm telling you, if you have done that for the first time, or if you let him more deeply into the center of everything about you, I'm telling you, he will turn you into a display of his endless patience. And through you, he will, this is what he's trying to do. He wants to build beauty in the middle of the brokenness of a broken world. That's what he's doing. I hope you can join us in the coming weeks. And if you want to follow us online or whatever, if you're like, I can't, I can't come to this church every week. I you know, went in another place. But I hope as we learn from Paul's life to see how Jesus's grace can be applied to transform and change the whole trajectory of our life. That's what this church wants to be about. He is risen. And God's people said, he is risen indeed. Let's be people who are evidence of God's endless patience. Let's pray. God, thank you that Jesus rose and we are people of hope. And even when the lights seem seemingly completely go out, just like it looked like when Jesus said his last words and said, it is finished. The lights didn't go out. Just like in our lives, the lights don't go out. Resurrections only happen in graveyards. And so God, this morning, let us be able to... Be filled by your spirit with that hope. And Lord, I I do want to pray a blessing. I know how scary it is to let Jesus pass the front staged lawn of my life. I pray a blessing that God, your spirit would bring courage. The courage to step out and say, I'm going to follow Jesus. And the courage to say, I'm fully available, Jesus. To all of what you as the risen Lord of life. You're the Lord. I'm not the Lord of my life. And God, we want to celebrate because that reality, this renewal thing that you are doing in the world because you're alive, we want to be participants in it. We want to celebrate with you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this production of Faith Community Church in Santa Cruz, California. To visit our complete archive of sermons, to learn more about FCC, or to view our live streaming services, please visit us online at santacruzfaith.org.